0: All right, we are back in business here, coming to you once again from the Empty Skull Ranch out here in Deer Park, New York. I'm your host, Sean Powers, and this is the Rap Examiner Podcast. This is the second installment in our illustrious journey together here, so for those of you who may have missed the first episode, uh, no worries. I uh, basically just introduced myself and the show and tried to kind of give a a little bit of perspective, uh, you know, my understanding and credentials, if you will. Uh, I did forget to mention that I've, I've recorded a bunch of music myself also, and I've been a writer of everything from rhymes to books since I'm a kid as well. So not that any of this is uh, impressive, but it does add a bit you know, to my understanding and how I discuss this stuff, because I do have a, a pretty sharp ability to process and recall lyrics and entire verses. Um, anyone who's seen my Instagram feed will attest to that. Uh, of course, it's an otherwise completely useless talent, Unless competitive rap karaoke is a thing, and I just don't know about it. But uh, on the flip side of that, last last episode was my first attempt at any of this, so definitely lots of uh, room for improvement. And uh, even if you did dig it, either way, improve a move is kind of always the motto, you know. So uh, obviously, I can't hear any objections that you may have to any of this. So we're just gonna go ahead and go with it. But if you'd like to be heard, I am on Twitter at all this powers feel free to air out your grievances or uh, whatever's on your mind. So, all right. I got my trusty cup of hot lemon ginger and THC honey, which I can't recommend highly enough. No pun intended. So let's get to it. All right. Today, we're going to be talking about Nas, the legendary Nasir Jones, author of what many would consider to be some of the most brilliant rap songs of all time. Uh, You got countless platinum and gold records, worldwide critical acclaim and most recently a wildly successful investor and entrepreneur. On that note I, I actually've been frequently uh to Sweet Chick, the restaurant that he is co-owner of and it is fucking phenomenal. Um if if you're not up on chicken and waffles in general, you you're, you're kind of missing the boat there but specifically the way they do it at this place is just off the hook. Um, they give you like three different flavored butters to go with it. And the waffle, you choose different flavors as well. Um, the chicken is literally the juiciest. It's just phenomenal. I got this hot honey. Uh, I'm getting hungry. So anyway, <laughs> there really isn't anything this guy hasn't done, you know, in regards to music. And it transcends the genre in a lot of ways. So, you know, there's a reason for the legendary status. I, uh, I remember going to see Nas perform, actually, on New Year's Eve. Uh, 2012 at Radio City and uh, they had a full orchestra and it was just, you know, they were doing all the beats like live. And I remember just, actually that performance I think is actually available online. But anyway, uh, it, it was just insane seeing how far hip hop had come. You know what I mean? To be at Radio City Music Hall and New Year's Eve with a fucking orchestra. It was just dope. And, um, you know, it speaks to the legacy and, and type of artist that that he is. But for all the accolades and the achievements, you know he's he's also he's also seems to always be on the receiving end of this like flow of criticism. That it's it's weird. It's a weird dynamic because, like in my experience, and you know who am I? But I've had many conversations with people about you know top MCs and you know who's your top five and this and that. And anytime Nas is brought up, it, it's like weird. It starts off respectful but it, then it takes a turn like it's it's always the same response it's first you know they give props to ilmatic almost like they're obligated to though you know like well yeah ilmatic but you know it's almost like begrudgingly because then they start him you know but the beats you know he, he can't pick beats and you know or the other thing which is you know yeah but nothing's going to ever be as good as ilmatic you know he that was it which okay you know, that's why I'm here today, I guess. Right. I want to take a look at those two claims and hopefully uh, give a slightly different perspective to consider uh, Nas's catalog with. Uh, in addition, I put together a playlist called uh, Nas Overlooked Gems on Spotify. And uh, I already tweeted out the link before I recorded this and. You know, if need be, I'll do it again. But uh, the link for that is there. It's a dope playlist. It's it's not like a best of, you know, where you're going to just get a bunch of the singles. And uh, in fact, I left most of that stuff out. You, you know, I left a lot of songs that are like kind of like not standards, you, you know, if you will. They're not even on there. Stuff like uh, I Gave You Power isn't on there. You're the man, one mic. There's a lot of songs that aren't on there. But what I did do is I put, you know, personal favorites and songs that I think like, are more I, I want to say Nas records you know what I mean like specifically where where what he's best at shines on I mean I tried to give the playlist a little bit of a ebb and flow sonically and thematically so I, I'd i like to think it plays straight through pretty well it doesn't feel too taped together some remixes some features uh, it's a good listen and uh, maybe after hearing this you throw it on the whip spark one up uh and here here's some you know fresh perspective on on the legend. Um, Speaking of, I'm actually going to throw something on now from that playlist, give a little taste of, and this is from the most recent release, actually, the the second installment of the Lost Tapes. And uh, it's funny because in my immediate circle of friends, you know, the reactions ranged from good to really good. But I also, you know, have seen and heard the usual, you know, dismissals of, of it. And I, I will say, I don't think it's really an album in the traditional sense to begin with, because... The Lost Tapes projects, this and the first one, they're comprised, you know, of leftovers from a specific time period. So anyway, when we get back, we'll dig into this debate a little bit. But first, I want to give this uh, next joint a little love here called Highly Favored. It's produced by none other than the RZA. Uh Nas really, he, he just, he sounds natural on a RZA beat to begin with. And if you pay attention to the second verse, like the way it starts, he, <laughs> this guy's metaphors are on another planet. He says something along the lines of uh, some uh, caricatures, amateur boys. I'm like a classic pianist with a handful of swords, bandages on. My fingers still are managing chords like a live band performing in a sandstorm. Blind, but still I hit the right keys. I mean, you like a classic pianist with a handful of swords, bandages on your fingers. Still, you're managing chords like a live band performing in a sandstorm. Jesus I don't know. To me, <laughs> a couple lines like that, you know, you, you know who you're dealing with. You know, The texture and the depth of these metaphors and those four bars right there, that's what sets this guy apart. It's a dope track, and it's great to hear Nas and RZA for the first time since verbal intercourse, I think, in 96. So uh, he's highly favored. Let's get into it. I really dig the way that RZA brought that Wu-Tang aura to this beat. The second I heard it, I was like, that's definitely RZA, you know? Um, I kind of have a hard time putting my finger on when this was recorded though, because I mean, I think this, this lost tapes too, is like from hip hop is dead to life is good. Right. And I'm trying to figure out like, which album would you have pulled this off of? Because it's a banger. It's a long awaited collabo. I mean, it's short. It's what was it? Two minutes and something, you know, it's not going to me up and down. Um, I don't know. The other thing I found interesting about this project, though, is the, the collection of producers he's got. I mean, this lineup is just Alchemist, Kanye, uh, Pharrell. Um, I mean, I know, obviously, a lot of these, you know, a lot of albums nowadays will have these big-time lineups. But with Nas, usually it's like a bunch of Salam Remy tracks, which he's nowhere on this album. And then, like, one or two, you know, big-name guys and a couple of newcomers. But like I said, this, this project is just... All A-list, up and down, pretty much. Um, Swiss, uh, but I, you know, even with that, uh, as a Nas fan and everything, I gotta say it's kind of a mixed bag, and it brings us to the first argument: uh, Nas' beat selection, and I believe there is a reason why he doesn't do his best work or maybe feel most comfortable uh, over some of the bigger names uh, production-wise that he's worked with. What I think it comes down to is, and I don't mean this in a bad way, I'll, I'll explain a bit, but I think it comes down to ego. Um, it, Nas is not your average artist, you know, especially, you know, at this point in his tenure, 25 years in the game, you know, the legend of Nas is is an imposing thing to think you have to, you know, to work with for a lot of, uh, any producer. I mean, what, what producer at this point didn't grow up listening to Nas, you know? So going into something, knowing you're going to be working with them, you know, I think the instinct often is to bring their best shit. You know what I mean? That's super fuego that they've been marinating, you know, just for this moment. You know what I mean? And it makes sense. I'm not saying I'm not I'm not shitting on that idea. It's, it makes sense to do that. It's not illogical in any way, but it is born out of ego. And, you know, what I mean is it you're trying to compete with Nas. Right, like Nas is this guy. He's the legend. I gotta be, I gotta do this, you know. And it's to me that's where it goes wrong. That's where the entire whatever work comes after that is kind of poisoned because it's the wrong approach. The better approach, I would, I would imagine. Uh, and again, I'm, I'm just some guy, uh, you know. But I, I would think that you would go into it and try to think what historically makes a dope Nas song, right? Like what type of drums, what BPMs, uh, what instrumentation, you know, is there a theme going into this project that he's working on? Um, and then you would create it based off of that, you know. Um, and I have a, I have a very strong hunch that that's why he works so extensively with Salaam on his albums. Because if Salaam Remy, you know, in addition to Nas, I mean, the work he did with Amy Winehouse, it, nothing he makes sounds... Similar, but what it does do, everything he makes it it caters to the artist. It caters to the characteristics, you know, theirs that shine. When these things shine, they shine, so to speak. Right. I mean, some of the, in my opinion, some of the worst songs that that I've ever heard Nas on were those big name collabos Swiss Beats. With you know, no disrespect to the guys, obviously, you know, a talented and. well-known producer, but he, at least five or six shitty Nas songs that he did. And it's like the same thing every time, you know, in, in that it's a swizz beat. It's not a Nas record. Do you, how do you not understand this? Make a Nas record, you know, uh, more recently, it's gotten closer to, to that. The stuff they've done. Echo was pretty dope, but, but I don't know. It's, uh, you know, it's not just him. Stuff with Kanye's hit or miss, and Dre, um, Really, almost almost any big name guy—that's uh, not where you find the, the best of Nas. Um, I kind of think, in some ways, that's probably why that mythical DJ Premier album that that was teased for years has never actually come out, um, because Premier is another guy who's got such a signature sound and style that it, you know it's almost like it's difficult for Nas to be Nas on the records. um, And, you know, it's not, I'm not trying to say you got to make it all about Nas, you know, because he's a spotlight hog. It's just that the thing that works about Nas is not the songs individually. It's the whole. All right. Um, And that's where the record labels have constantly dropped the ball with him over the years is, you know, it's you're getting when you got Illmatic, it was presented so well. And what was presented was a glimpse into this person's soul and their mind. And, you know, that, of course, is going to change and evolve over time. And, you know, that's kind of what the whole thing is about is that journey, you know, with the artist. Um, so the beats, they kind of need to be more about that than they need to be a hot beat. Um, if the parts don't contribute to the whole, you know, it does not it's not going to hit right. So you when you listen to a Nas song, it's really, it's typically two things at once. It's a song, but it's also like a representation of a larger theme or or a vibe that he's aiming to bring you, uh, you know, on the full album. You know, so again, his success there, it could be argued, you know, varies. Uh, and we'll get into that a bit. But, you know, thankfully, I it, it seems like in the last few years, He's been kind of sticking to his guns a little more as far as the collabos and, you know, having them fit better into the projects that he's working on. Um, Because, I I mean, early on, obviously the infamous You Owe Me record with Genuine, which, (laughs) I mean, it was like almost an embarrassment. You know, it was uh, similar to when Jay-Z did uh, the Sunshine video. It was just like, what are you doing, dude? Uh, or even Hate Me Now, which I love the song, actually. It's a great fucking song. But it didn't sound like a Nas song. It sounded like, I mean, that specific song to me, it, you know, it came out 98, right? So it's like a year after Biggie passed. And I, I remember thinking it then, I still think it now. That felt like it was something that was left over from the, the Life After Death sessions. Uh, sessions, And that, you know, Puff had it sitting there and kind of, you know, told Nas, hey, look, this was, you know, supposed to be for Big. and." pass it his way uh, because it really had that that cinematic feel which that whole life after death did uh, Carlos Brody was producer that was all over that project I don't know who did that beat actually but uh, anyway back to the point you know nas as much as he's a rapper he's he's a poet um, and that's what his fans really you know appreciate about the music it's not' It's not just the rap, right? Um, and I know it's not like an easy thing to do. It kind of goes counterintuitive in some ways, but when you listen to Nas, you kind of really should ignore the beat almost the first few times. You the, you should focus on what he's trying to say, because oftentimes you'll find the beat is part of the picture that the words are painting. Um, you know, the beats. There's been times where at first I heard them, I'm like the hell, but then I you know as I'm listening, I'm like oh wow, he really put you know put something together. Look at Undying Love. I mean, that's not a sick beat, but you're going to tell me there's a better example of, you know, movie level storytelling that you could see and visualize. And what other beat could it have been on? It had to be on something like that, right? So there's people who go like, well, what's, what's this? It, they're not listening. You know what I mean? Um, And so I, I don't really think that that's a fair criticism because the better, the quote unquote hotter beats are typically shittier songs. Um, when it comes to Nas. Uh, it's the same thing. I remember back when the Firm album came out. It was all these Dre beats and, you know, they were, Dre had come out of the Death Row era, so he was doing the, been there, done that. This was kind of like the first big project he was doing, so he had this, like, signature sound he was trying to really kind of, you know, push. And it just, the chemistry wasn't there because it was Nas on Dre beats, not Dre making Nas records. And, um... You know, sometimes they're good on, on their own, even, uh, or for a compilation or a soundtrack. But one producer, though, who uh, literally nailed it every time that they that they he's worked with Nas is Large Professor. Uh, for those unfamiliar, Large Professor was in a group called Mean Source, and he gave Nas his first big break by putting him on a record called "Live at the Barbecue." Uh, Streets disciple, my rap's a trifle that that you know classic line. Um, and to say that record created a buzz would be an understatement. This is pre internet. So this tape was going around with this verse, and people were just, oh my God, you know. And uh, they, you know, so he worked on Ilmatic with them, he was a big contributor of that. And they've worked together straight through to Life is Good. So uh, before we move on, I actually want to play one of my favorite collabs between the two of them. It's a little more slept on, not, not as well known, but it's called State Chisel. And uh, in my opinion, this this, the chemistry, it's just that perfect balance man in every way it's got that smoothness that it's you could play it so many times and you know again with nas you you pick something new up every time when you hear what he's saying and that's what makes it dope that's what makes nas nas that replay value um some of the on this song if you pay attention some of the like Stay chiseled, right? So it's about, like, health and strength and shit. And so Nas has got all these metaphors throughout, you know, low-fat rap, no calories in my mentality. uh least there's something about lighting a dumbbell L. It's just dope. A classic Nas. And uh, the playlist I made used I used Spotify. And, unfortunately, they only have this version that's on here. But if you do a quick search, uh, you can find the original version of this track. And on that version, Nas had three verses, uh, not just this one And they're all equally dope I mean he's got so many You know Different ways to flip it But my guess is that With three Nas verses I feel like maybe It was supposed to be like a album song for Nas And maybe he didn't use it uh, So maybe You know Large professor Decided Hey look I'll you know, keep one of your verses keep, It's my beat anyways And I'll put one of mine on here And i uh, put it on my album There's nothing wrong with that um, Especially You know If not for that We're You know we would never have anything, right? So uh, let's get into that one real quick. Here we go. State Chisel. Uh, Nas, Large Professor. And this is off Large Professor's album, First Class. Uh, it's such a dope track. And like I said, if you if you get a chance, look for that original version. Um, again, I don't know who decided that it wasn't an album worthy song. But speaking of album choices, I want to dig into the second of these two, two arguments about Nas, uh, which is nothing nothing he did is ever going to be as good as Illmatic. There's a couple of factors that go into that statement. All right? Now, first of all, when something is said often enough, it just becomes true to people as fact, you know? Um, so that's to say, I, I can promise you, a ton of the people who say this or have said this, they don't even know why they say it. It's just like a thing. You know, Illmatic is untouchable. it's a, It's like an urban legend almost. Because if you follow up, you know, with questions about, you know, what made Illmatic great, you know, that he didn't do again, you're not going to really get an answer, right? They'll point out, you know, wax songs that he made. Uh, Illmatic had no wax songs, and there is some merit to that. You know, obviously, that's true. He did have some wax songs in the future, but it speaks way less to Nas as an MC and more to the demands of the record companies, um, you know, industry standards, quote-unquote, you know, the need for singles and videos and all this kind of stuff. And that that's a pressure that just didn't exist at the time that Illmatic was created. All right. In, in 94, hip hop was a whole different animal than it was just two years later. The top artists in 94 hadn't really broke through into mainstream awareness, so to speak. And, you know, so these guys were still just creating uh, without the labels, you know, dropping in and A&Rs having fucking opinions and this and that. Uh, because there was no big pop rap artists at that point to point to, you know what I mean, and say, you know, do that, you know. But as time went on, like I said, you know, that changed. I mean, uh if you go back to 99, Nas was supposed to put out his there was going to be a double album. It would have been his third album, it was going to be a double album. Um and you know, this is when Tupac had one, Biggie had one, Wu-Tang, so it was kind of like a thing you know to do. And uh but then there were leaks Tracks were coming out, you know, bootleg and Nas winds up redoing part of the album and they just dropped the ball. The whole thing was a disaster. And it, instead of a double album, it was like two albums that came out in a kind of short period of time and neither one was anything, you know, extraordinary. Um, I Am and Nostradamus, the two weakest albums in this catalog, pretty much universally agreed to. But they both had gems, you know what I mean? Um Again, overall, yeah, tons of misaligned sounds and, you know, weak crossover stuff. And the features, again, you know, just didn't really work. For example, uh I forget which one it was, but Life is What You Make It with DMX. That's a Rough Riders beat. It's a Rough Riders song. It's not a Nas song. And for that to be, you know, the featured track, it's not that it's a bad song, but, you know, it wasn't deeper into Nas's mind or uh, Nas's art. It was just presenting Nas over the sound of the moment. And um, I don't know. Not for I It also baby be, when I heard that song, it reminds me, dude, Swizz got so lucky by meeting DMX because if what a perfect fit. This, you know, the sound of DMX's voice and Swizz's beats. I really don't know that he could have broke through with anyone else's voice, man. It really just was incredible the way those two worked together. Um, but anyway... Uh, If you look around online, you could find what was supposed to be the original track list for the double album. And if you look at that album, you know, put together and sequenced the way it is, that's a classic album, a classic double album, matter of fact. Um, You had most of what wound up being the first Lost Tapes on there, a couple other songs that, you know, were in different places, better sequencing. And, you know, the, the issue is never that Nas didn't make dope music the issue has always been his record labels don't have a, a grasp on you know the artists that they have uh i'll fault maz too you know for maybe not even knowing himself what kind of artist he wanted to be early on in his career you know he had to make these records right i mean it's not like he took a stand and you know refused to but i mean do you remember the debacle that in 2008 over the what wound up being the untitled album he was originally going to name the album nigger and the media. It was just a frenzy around this. And to be honest, I'm kind of surprised because you know, in this era controversy is pretty much the best promotion you could have, but the label just refused to put it out. You no know, change the title and songs were taken off of it. And again, if you go and look, there's a green Lantern mixtape out there uh, called the nigger tape. And if you, again, it's the same deal. If you take the, the best records on Untitled and the best records on the mixtape, you take all the crap out of both and put that album out. It's phenomenal. You know, Untitled still was a good album, but it wasn't great. And that's, you know, that's the shame of it. I mean, it's a great example of the shame of it because he was really trying to, like, you know, provoke a whole dialogue. And I mean, not for nothing, that's literally the true purpose of an artist. And in this case, you know, it's, clear corporate greed, just shut them up. Um, it really was a sad moment for, for musicians. And I, I really don't know that enough artists realized at the time, because I don't remember a lot of backlash. Uh, I just remember that it happened that way. And, uh, anyways, that album did have some real highlights on it. Um, and one of my favorites was it's called we're not alone. And again, you know the beat is very complimentary to Nas, and it fits what he's doing and storytelling. But what I really like about it is, uh, as a, as a admitted, uh, UFO aficionado, I guess you could say <laughs> tinfoil hat wearer, whatever you want to call it. Um, I'm a believer. And, uh, this is probably one of the only times I can think of where you hear someone, especially, you know, not specifically going into detail about a UFO encounter. had. And talking about, you know, his opinion on extraterrestrials and it just the whole theme of the song is the connected nature of humanity. And a lot of it, I'm sure, goes over a lot of people's heads, uh, much like the aforementioned UFOs, right? Um, sorry, jokes are not my my strength, apparently. <laughs> but anyways, check out the song. It's called We Are Not Alone. And this is off the Untitled uh, album by Nas. All right, and that was uh, We Are Not Alone uh, off the untitled album. So the last thing I want to add to this, it's about Illmatic. Um I know this is going to sound like sacrilegious or whatever, but personally, it's not even my favorite Nas album. Um, I, I personally like Stillmatic overall because I think the level of mastery and the heights that he reached as far as poetically, it's just mind-bending. I mean... It was then, and it still is now. It's who's passing, you know, the the level uh, rewind, where he has that song that he tells the whole story backwards. Um, and my my personal favorite song of his, probably out of his whole catalog, "What Goes Around" is on there. Brilliant, brilliant messaging, uh, flow. There's just so many songs on that album. Obviously, the ones that everyone's familiar with: "One Mike," "You're the Man." Um, and again, let's say there's three shitty songs on there, right? It, it's like almost like a push because whatever, skip it if you don't like it. You know what I mean? Because you had such brilliance being displayed there. Uh, the problem isn't Nas, you know? I it, it's, it's the way it's being listened to. I really believe that. Uh, I'm also in the minority that thinks The Streets Disciple double album he put out in 2004. I think that's a classic. Um, I put it second after Stillmatic in my my top five Nas albums. Let's see, let's run through it. Um, top five would be Stillmatic, Streets Disciple, It Was Written, Illmatic, and Life Is Good. That would be my top five proper Nas albums. I didn't I didn't count the lost tapes in there, but anyway. Um, The the reason Illmatic is so revered is because it was produced perfectly to introduce this brilliant new artist to the world. And it was done before rap had this big mainstream presence and the big money really hadn't come in yet where the labels, you know, demand certain songs either be on or off the project. So it was a pure, you know, execution of a vision. And that's really why it's flawless. Um. But Nas definitely did way more innovative and creative, masterful work since Illmatic. He evolved further than Illmatic. So therefore, it's, to me, you know, equally as impressive. And he grew each time around. Content-wise, there was always like a new high that he would reach um, with the creativity. second album had, a gave you power, which is just, again, brilliant um personifying a gun and the way that the story's told and so yeah that's why Illmatic is not my favorite uh, Nas album it's great it, is, it no obviously is a reason why it's a legendary album um but it's it's funny because Nas was has recently just was on record talking about this that uh, to quote him it's corny that people still talk about Illmatic like that and in in a way, I think he was getting at the same point, is that, look, man, I've done a lot of dope shit since Illmatic, and, you know, it's cool to play a concert or an anniversary or whatever, but, you know, give me some credit for the rest of this catalog because, uh, you know, he's he's broken ground that, you know, it's, it's rare air that he occupies. And, uh, you know, 94, Illmatic, great album, but also a very great era and that needs to be factored in. Uh, Raw hip-hop was not a rare commodity yet. Uh, Big L's debut album, the early Wu-Tang stuff, Black Moon, all that shit was, that's what the labels were actually putting out at the time. And in 96, cash-grabbing started, and, you know, they wanted, Nas, Nas fans at the time, myself included, you wanted more of the guy that made Illmatic. You didn't necessarily want the same beats per se, but you wanted whatever beats were gonna best accompany you on this journey. But instead, you know, the labels they want they want the hot songs. And at that point, you know, you already had Jay-Z or Puffy and but, you know, that's not Nas. And so it just was a it was a it was a bad fit, you know, I think imagine now. You know, let's say Nas had been coming of age now with the internet and you know, being what it is and such a powerful tool, technology, and, you know, creating music has become easier and more affordable and you really don't even need a label. Um, let's say he put out a automatic the and then just went indie with it, you know, what a different story, right? I mean, he could have really just kind of kept cultivating that sound, um, instead of trying to kind of walk both sides of the fence and, you know, uh, what's meant to be is meant to be. So, certainly no regrets for, for for the career that he's put together, but uh, it it is something to think about when you see a guy like Bronson, you know, action Bronson did a that project with party supplies uh, as a producer. And I think it was like 48 hours. They made the beats and the rhymes right there on the spot and put it out. And you just think like, man, imagine getting like prime, you know, early Nas and Pete rock. It <laughs> did put out a, a, a mixtape just straight from them. Out, you know, oh my goodness. The things that could have been, right? I, obviously, it's armchair quarterbacking, but I don't know. He's got that. Now, Nas has that record label, right? Mass Appeal Records. He's got a few artists on there and stuff. So who knows? Maybe one day, uh, you know, something like that could happen. You get the right vibe, the right idea. Uh, if if it does happen, I will try to take a retroactive credit for it because I spoke it into existence right here. And you all heard it on the Rap Examiner podcast, but uh look bottom line man i'm a fan of the music just like everyone else so uh i'm gonna leave you one more joint before we get out of here this is uh on that playlist as well the overlooked gems this is actually a remix uh of black girl lost which is a track on his second album Uh, it was written but this remix was it came out many years later i think in 2006 maybe uh dj dirty harry uh made the mix you know created it and uh Vocals from Black are Lost, but he put it over a, the instrumental from a Bobby Valentino record. Remember that name? I forget. Remember, tell Me, maybe, I think, or Slow Down. One of the, He had a couple songs, and this is the beat from one of them. And uh, Trey Williams on the hook, really smooth. And uh, you'll also notice there's a Papoose feature randomly on here. I know some people have mixed feelings about about Pap, but it uh, he, sounds, he sounds really good on here. And uh, I actually... Have grown to enjoy this version more than the original. Um, so, anyways, check it out. And again, I'm on Twitter at All This Powers. You can talk to me there if you need to. Uh, till next time, this is the Rap Examiner, and that's it.